Welcome to Calvary Live. We are so glad you could join us through our podcast. Here at Calvary, we want you to live life at the highest level through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope today's message will be an encouragement. I want you to turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 10 and 11. Influence. It's not just what comes to me, it's what comes through me. Uh, Everyone desires in this life, everyone, if you ask anyone whether they are a believer or not, they have a desire to make a difference. There is something innate in us. I believe God put it there that we live this life with the knowledge that life is not just about what I get. Life is not just about me. Somewhere, if I'm going to live my life at the highest level, I have to begin to influence for something important. I want to make a difference. As a Christian, we understand that, that innate desire, that drive in us as a human being to leave something better was put there by God. And it only reaches its highest level when we do that connected to Jesus Christ. We have to learn how this influence works. What is influence from God's perspective? Okay, let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 10 and 11. I've been teaching you this this, uh, concept of influence, but it is the third step in a three-step process that God designed for influence to be present. God's plan is for his people to influence in his name. But he gave us a, a step, a system, a process to arrive there. How do we get to the place of godly influence. Let's look at these verses. 2 Corinthians 9, 10, and 11. Now he, who is the he? God. Who is the he? Okay. Now God who supplies the seed. Okay. So that's so he, God's supplying the seed. Now he, God who supplies the seed to the sower. Who are the sowers? You and I, men and women. Okay. Now God who supplies seed to us. All right, you got it? Now, God who supplies seed to us and bread for food will do what? Will also supply and increase. Now, what, what, he, he's not talking about harvest yet. He's talking about what will increase your store of what? See, that side's answering me. This side seems to be quiet over here. I'm going to give you another chance. So God supplies the seed. And then before he goes even any further, he says, and I will increase the seed. Seed is not for me. Seed is what I plant. Everybody with me? God puts something in every one of our lives that is not for us, but is to come through us. There is something God put in every life. Say everyone. Every life. Point it to people around you. That's the only time it's proper to point, but point now. God puts seed in every believer's life. When the Holy Spirit is put in our lives, when the Holy Spirit is deposited in us, God's resources come with that. And here he says, God who supplies seed, not what I eat, that what what I sow, he says, you know what I want to do? I not only want to give you seed, I want to increase the amount of seed. I want to see what you do with what I give you. Listen, with my eye always looking to give you more. Remember the parable of the sower? He gave one five. I'm pardon me, the parable of the talents. He gave one five, one two, and one one. He came back and checked and said, what did you do with the investment of the seed I put in your life? The man with five said, I put it to work, 
and have five more. And what did he tell him? Well done, good and faithful servant. I'm going to put you in charge of cities. I want to give you seed, God says. And if you do well with that, I want to increase the seed. Same thing with the man too. What happened to the guy with the one? He came back to check on him. That's why I only gave him one in the first place because he wasn't sure he could trust him. He said, if you'll read it closely, he gave them talent according to their ability. So the guy with one did exactly what, unfortunately, we were worried he was going to do. What'd you do with it? Oh, I know you're a hard man. You're a mean taskmaster, God. No one knows who you are. I just dug a hole and hit it. I said, really? Yep, that's what I did. Because, you know, you, you reap where you don't sow, and you, you know, you're tough. You're a tough dude. All right. He said, you at least could have put it to bank, made interest. He said, go take it away from him. And then he said something that some people don't understand, and go give it to the guy with 10. Well, he already has 10. Yeah, because he did something with it. He said, I'm going to put seed, gifts, talents, abilities in your life so I can come through those and the world see me. And if you'll work with me, I'll give you more of that seed. Okay, everybody with me on that? Okay, now, so watch this. Increase your store of seed. Now he says, and I'll enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11 says, you'll be made rich in every way or you'll be enriched. In how many ways? Every way. So that. Oh, why did he put seed in us? And why did he increase the seed? And why is he enriching our life? It was all for a plan. It wasn't just for me. It wasn't just for my sake. It wasn't just for my unselfish desires. So you see that whole process was all so that. Someone say so that. So that. <laughs> so that what? What are we reading? So that you can be generous. See, some people... I hate when they talk about generosity. I love when we get to read generosity. Because that means God is supplying and increasing our store of seed. And we are not generous because it cost us. We're generous because God blessed us. Why did all that happen? So that we can be generous on every occasion. And what does generosity produce? It produces influence so that through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. There is a three-step. Invest the seed God gave you. God will increase that seed. Enlarge the harvest of your righteousness in every way. Why? So that we can be generous and men praise God. God wants to so interact with our lives that the end result is bigger than we are and people watch what happens and say that was God at work that was God at work that's the plan that's what God wants to do so I have to understand that that influence for his glory living my life connected to him allows God to be seen his influence to be seen so so I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 9 and 10. Turn there with me. Find that with me. Ephesians chapter 2 and beginning with verse number 8. Are you with me? Watch this plan. This is an exciting way to live. For it is by grace you have been saved. How many are thankful the grace of God saved you? What does grace mean? Unearned favor. Why do we have grace? Why are we saved by grace? Because Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. 
religions are all based on man working his way into the favor of a deity somewhere. All religions are based on works. Christianity is unique in that it's based on grace. What does that mean? It means Jesus paid the price. Jesus did the work. Jesus went to the cross, paid the debt for our sins so that we could be saved. How? By grace. Aren't you thankful he paid the price? So watch this, all right? Verse 8 says in, in, in 2 Corinthians, I'm pardon, Ephesians 2, 8, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. I have to accept that, okay? And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Watch this. Not by works so that no one can boast. No one earns salvation. How many can say amen to that? Jesus did it. But once we are saved, once we've stepped into the grace of God, once we've uh, come into this relationship with him, then we get into this very thing I'm teaching you, investing, increasing, influencing. Why? Look at this, verse 10. For we are God's workmanship. I've taught you before, the Greek word would best be translated here, masterpiece. <laughs> You're God's masterpiece. You say, well, there's some rough edges. Well, he's still working on that masterpiece. Have you ever seen a sculptor take a block of stone and begin to chisel and carve till he's produced a masterpiece? Every famous sculpture you've ever seen, all of da Vinci's and the great sculptors you've seen in the art museums and, uh, and, and in photographs, it started with a block of stone. But da Vinci saw the David inside the block of stone. And so what did he do? He just knocked off everything that didn't look like David. Do you know what God's doing for you and me? Come on, he got some good news. We came and we were a pretty rough old block of stone. And you know what the Holy Spirit's doing right now? Knocking everything off me that doesn't look like Jesus. And if we'll stay on board when we get there, we're who we're supposed to be. See, we're a masterpiece under construction. Why? Look at this. It's amazing. For we are God's workmanship. It's a progressive thing. A masterpiece in motion. Look at this. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. The works come after salvation, not before. The works aren't just random things I do. It's who he created me to be. And so these, th- this seed, this deposit in you, hear what I'm telling you today, is divinely designed. You're uniquely made by God. Stop comparing yourself to other people. Stop trying to be like somebody else. If, you, if, you, if your goal in life is to imitate somebody, that's the best you'll ever be, a good imitation. But what you can be is an original, creative work of art that God put here on this planet because no one else has the capacity to influence for God like you do. Isn't that amazing? You don't have to have a title or a platform. You don't have to be known by other people. I don't care how many followers you have. I just care who you're following. Come on, let's, how many got that? I don't care about your followers. I care about who you're following. There's a design and an influence working here. It's absolutely amazing. And God is recognized and gets the glory. Here's what I want you to see in this moment. So, Pastor, how do we do this? I want you to get this. I want you to get this. So, so we, we, we get it. 
God puts in us, he invests in us. So we take that seed and we invest it. We share, we give our time, our treasure, our talent. Okay? And, and as we do that, God increases his work in our life. And the end result is we're creating influence for God. By the way we live and the way we conduct ourselves, we're, we're, we're beginning to bring influence. We're creating impact. But here, I, I want you to use a term. I want you to hear it. If we do it the way Jesus did it, are you ready? It's opposite of this world system. It is servant influence. I want you to say that with me. Say it. Servant influence. Pastor, why are you having us repeat things today? Because if I say it, hear it and say it, I remember it. Okay, let's say it again. Servant influence. Say that with me. Servant influence. It is... (laughs) Being a servant is what everybody's running away from today. And yet when I look in the Word of God, it's the biblical pattern... To use the seed he put in us to arrive at the influence he wants to use for us, okay? So remember last week I illustrated, I referred to, the last thing Jesus did to demonstrate this to those uh, proud, arguing, trying to climb up the ladder disciples in the upper room at the Last Supper. He had to wash their feet because of their arrogance. And their pride, arguing over which one of them would be the greatest. Who would sit at his right hand and his left hand? And and the cross is coming right at him. So he knelt down and washed their feet. And he said, what you've seen me do, you need to do in the kingdom. You want to be a leader? You want to influence? He said, the greatest in the kingdom. He said it again and again. The chief among you is the servant among you. So how do we create influence as a servant how does increase or or invest increase and influence work through a servant i'm really glad you asked that let's go to philippians 2 and verse 3 how many are finding that you're in ephesians philippians your next book i used to tell people how to turn in their bible to find things but everybody's got a phone now philippians 2 3 everybody with me you guys are a little quiet today I, you know, I preached eight weeks to nobody about a year ago this time. I had to amen myself. How many understand what I'm talking about? I like to know I've got company. <laughs> I just like to know you're here. So let me just hear everybody give a good amen just so you can do it. See, it's not that hard. It's just not that hard. <clears throat> let me help you. The more amens... Faster I preach. The slower I feel like I'm not getting there. See, I lived in Texas for a long time. And in Texas, this is what they tell you. How long do you drill for oil? You drill till you strike. You understand? So when I'm preaching, if I'm not striking oil, I just keep drilling. I just keep going. You know, if I'm not getting amens, I figure, well, let me back up and try again. I'm just going to. I got that Texas hard head. How many understand what I'm saying? Okay. We're having fun. Everybody's good. All right. Philippians 2, verse 3. Look at, look at this. So how did Jesus do this? How does this servant influence work? It seems like those are, that's an oxymoron, servant and influence in the same sentence. Look at this. Philippians 2, verse 3. Watch this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others 
better than yourselves. Lord, have mercy. That's, a, that's something to chew on, isn't it? Okay, He's, we're just getting started. Verse 4. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, okay, but also to the interests of others. We're talking about influence, but it comes to a servant. Are you with me? Now, verse, verse 5. <clears throat> your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Man, anybody, don't have to raise your hand. Has anybody ever looked at you and said, you got an attitude today? Where'd you get that attitude? Your parents ever said to you, where'd you get that attitude, young lady? Your, your teacher ever said, young man, where did you get that attitude? Okay, I'm going to ask you to get an attitude today. I'm going to ask you. You need to get an attitude today. But let's see what kind. My attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Would he be the greatest influencer that's ever lived? Yeah, okay. So let's watch this. Verse 6. What was his attitude? Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. What, What does that mean? He was God. He knew who he was. He didn't have to hold on to it. He had nothing to prove. He knew who he was. Are you with me? Verse 7, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a, whoa. Now, I want you to see the choice, not the force in this. He was not forced to be a servant. He was not forced to be nothing. He made himself nothing. Now, here's what we've heard too much, man, in church, in religion. See, when religion tries to creep into Christianity, we confuse people. How many times have you heard someone have a hard time, you know, go through a crisis and say, I believe God's trying to humble me? Tell the truth. Have you ever heard somebody say something pretty close to that? I didn't say you. You've heard someone say that. Sure we have. I believe the Lord's humbling. No, you made a knucklehead decision. You did something goofy and you're paying for it. See, we think humility is a result of being forced. But the servant influence of Jesus, humility is a result of a choice. You see the difference in that? If I'm forced, did I really own it? If I'm made to, is it genuine? If I choose to, then I own it. See, so he says, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness when he was born of the virgin, took on our human flesh, came to be our savior. Now watch this, verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, here it is again, he did what? He humbled himself, his choice again. And did what? Became obedient to death on a cross. What's the result of the greatest servant ever? He had the greatest influence ever. And what does God do in the life of someone who's willing to trust him enough to be a servant? Then the verse 9 says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Isn't it amazing that everyone in our culture trying to climb the ladder of success 
trying to step on everybody, getting there, get what I can, hold on to it, make a title, get my name. Influence is all about me, 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 me. And yet in the kingdom, the greatest influencer who ever walked on this planet was the greatest servant who ever walked on this planet. And God said, and he'll say this always, you will never out-trust me, out-obey me, out-give to me, out-surrender to me. If you'll quit worrying about what man's going to give you, I will take care of you. I will exalt his name. I will make every knee bow. In the end, every demon, every angel, every human, every king, every president, every dictator, every billionaire will bow their knee before Jesus and say, you're the king of all kings. You're the Lord of all Lord. You're the greatest influencer that has ever walked on this planet. Because why? You're the greatest servant that ever walked on the planet. There's some things we need to understand. Anybody with me right now? See, we need to understand this thing. God wants his church to influence this hurting world to see who he is. But he's going to have to find some servants who understand how the kingdom operates. Look with me in Mark chapter 1 and verse 9. I've got a lot of scripture today because I'm, every time I go against the flow, I know I've got to prove it. (laughs) Every time I buck political correctness and human nature, we need to see what the kingdom says about it. Anybody with me right now? Doesn't matter what George Sawyer says. Doesn't matter what CNN, CBS, NBC, ABC, Fox says. I don't really care. I want to know what does God say about this situation? Mark 1 verse 9. See, it's a choice. Instead of me trying to climb up the ladder of success, I need to climb down the ladder of influence. Let's see what God wants to do. So Mark 1 verse 9. This is the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. He's been in seclusion for 30 years. We got a little insight when he was 12, when he stayed at the temple and and confounded and amazed the teachers. But then he's back. And and so for 18 years, nothing, nothing. We don't know. But now it's time. Now the Holy Spirit's prompted him. Now the timing with God has come. Listen to me. If we want to influence for our own good... If we're about our titles and our name and our popularity and fame, we're, we're, not going to, we're not going to wait 18 years. We're going to launch out and do some things before time and get in the way of God's plan. But when we're trusting him, the timing of God is amazing. Okay? So, verse 9, at that time Jesus came from Nazareth and Galilee, was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now look at this with me. Verse 10. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being, what? Torn open. This is a very uh, violent term in the original Greek language. It, it, It means ripped apart by force. So what was that? What was happening? Well, you know, ever since Adam and Eve sinned and forfeited their position, their authority before God, Satan had been, you saw Joe McGee refer to the little G, the God of this world. He was controlling the dominion of earth. And when Jesus came to begin his public ministry, for his influence to go to another level, he needed to be anointed of the Holy Spirit. 
because his deity had been humbled and, and submitted to our humanity. And no humanity will ever fulfill the purposes of God without the anointing of the Holy Spirit to enable that to happen. And so setting a pattern for us, he's baptized in water by John. And as he's coming out of the water, he looks and, and the heaven, not heaven, the throne of God, the heavens, the spiritual atmosphere around this earth was literally ripped apart. There was a clash. Satan knew my kingdom of this world is about to be invaded by the kingdom of God. There had been up until that time, the Holy Spirit would descend on someone, a prophet in the Old Testament or a priest or a king, but it would always return. It never would abide and dwell. But now this one had come, who is the very Son of God, who is ready to begin his ministry. And he would not just have a touch and go of the Holy Spirit, but he would now have an abiding, a remaining, a dwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the king kingdom of hell said if we're going to survive we better stop this thing right now if we're going to keep control of this planet we can't allow the holy spirit to come and stay and so they threw up every air defense mechanism they had and said we got to stop this thing before it comes but it was the timing of god it was the purpose of god no matter what hell threw in front of him when it was time to anoint his chosen one God stepped through the curtain of hell and sin and bondage and tore open an opening that is open to this day for every servant of God see you have to understand uh, what happened in that moment I, I can't take any more with that but but so let's keep reading he saw heaven torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove now watch this This is what i want you to see servants of god influencers of god verse 11 and a voice came from heaven watch this this is the beginning of his ministry are you with me he technically has not preached a sermon yet healed anyone yet stepped into this calling yet And God says, you are my son, whom I love. (laughs) With you, I'm well pleased. What was happening? Here's what I want you to see. Jesus was anointed and approved by God before he ever earned anything. Before he ever did anything. Here's what I want you to see. Pastor, what do you say? See, see, he said, he said, you're my son. He said, I love you. I'm really proud of you. You're doing good. Before he did anything. Do you know what happens? What has to happen in the life of a person who understands what I'm preaching, servant influence? You must come to a place where you know who your daddy is. Where you know who your father is. You know your identity. You know before you do a thing. See, too many of us never had a father love us like that. Never had a love based on, on, on giving. It was always based on me earning, me proving, me measuring up, me making. No, no, no. You know what he said? We're just getting started. And before you go, I want you to know you're my son. He said, I want you to know I really love you. 
He said, I want you to know I'm pleased with you. Can I tell you something today? That's the only way you can really be a servant. When I get my focus off of what anybody thinks about me and I begin to live my life with the knowledge my father loves me, I'm I'm pleasing to him, his hand is on me. Do you understand that's what happened? See, because there are going to be times in your life because you've stepped out of the kingdom of this world and accepted Jesus as your savior and you've walked into the kingdom of God, there are going to be times in your life you need to understand this. Maybe it'll help you. You don't know why. Why do these people oppose me? Why do they act to me like this? Why does my family treat me this way? Why why am I fighting upstream? Why does it feel like I'm pushing against something? You know why? Because the same kingdom of hell that tried to stop the advance of Jesus will try to get in your way too. But don't be discouraged. He has torn away open. He has gone in before us. And there will be some opposition in your life sometime. But if you'll remember, I know who my father is. I know that he loves me. I know that he's well pleased with me. Does anybody hear what I'm saying today? See, Jesus said, you can come in this kingdom if you want. He lived like that to such a degree. I'll show you the most radical statements he ever made as a servant influencer. Look at Matthew 26, 50. I want you to put this up. Matthew 26, 50. Look at this. Look at this. You've got to understand some things to get here. Do you know the setting of this? Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Friend? Then the men stopped, stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. He's talking to Judas in the garden. The betrayer. The guy whose feet he just washed. The man who had lived with him for three years and watched him raise the dead, heal the sick, cast out demons, feed multitude, sold him for 30 sorry pieces of silver, sold his soul, betrayed the Son of God, ate dinner with him and got up and made the deal. You think you've been betrayed? You think somebody broke their word to you? You think somebody's done something unfair? They probably have. And everybody in this room has known the sting of betrayal. The bite of rejection. The injustice of abuse. But so did Jesus. And when that man walked up in his face and betrayed him with a kiss, a kiss. You know, you can't be betrayed by someone Who's not in proximity to you. You can't be betrayed by someone way over there. They got to be close enough to put their snaky lips on your face. To betray you. And you and I. (laughs) Didn't you find out if you're a servant. Jesus. Somebody said one time. How do I know I've got a servant's attitude. I said the first time somebody treats you like one. Anybody? I don't know I'm a servant till you treat me like one. Talk to me like one. But Jesus said, Hello, friend. Ah, friend? 
Your wife burns your bacon and you won't talk to her for a week. I'm going to drink a water on that. In Alabama, whoever wins the Iron Bowl, strut like a rooster. The other team mad for a year. Jesus called Judas his friend. I'm going to work on it for a minute. How much time I got? I got to hurry. I don't talk about it a lot here because I'm your pastor and that's my greatest joy in calling. Also, a presbyter and help serve many other churches to help them at certain times and leaders. And we work with young men and women being ordained and a lot of things like that. And every once in a while, Lord have mercy, the thing I hate the most, I get called in. To help a church fight. Which those two words shouldn't go together. Anytime you have a church splitting, it means somebody walked away from Jesus. Anytime people get mad at church and act like the devil, it means somebody's not right. And I've walked in places and people mad at church splitting over some of the most inane, ridiculous things I've ever heard of. What's going on? Why is everybody upset? Well... They wanted to paint the Sunday school rooms blue. And we always had yellow rooms. You know, I want to say, dear God, I'm leaving right now. I don't have time for this foolishness. But Jesus called Judas his friend. Have I got you there? How do you do that? Let's be real. Do you not think that hurt him? He had our flesh wrapped on his deity. He felt what you would have felt in that moment. Do you understand that? We like to look at these moments and say, well, he was Jesus. Yeah, he was Jesus with skin on. Well, he's the son of God. Well, he left all the privileges in heaven and came, took on our mess. Do you think when Judas kissed him, he goes, ooh, that was so nice. Do you think when Judas kissed him, he goes, I can't believe he did that. I didn't see that coming. Huh? No, it hurt. It put a knife in his back. It ripped his guts out. He thought what you think. He thinks what I think as a pastor. When somebody leaves, when you, you know, never mind. You know, I dedicated their children, married them, buried them, and then somebody blows their nose the wrong way. You just go. It hurts. It hurts. It matters. He felt it. What did you do that to me? Why did you do that to me? Jesus thought. You don't think that bothered him? But you know how he said, friend? Because this is what he knew. I'm not living for what Judas thinks about me. I'm not living for who comes and who goes. I'm living because I have a father who says I'm his son. And he says, I approve you. I love you. And you're doing a good job. Well, I haven't done anything yet. You're my son. I love you already. You're my daughter. I want you to know that you mean something to me. But I messed it up back there. But I forgave you for that. And I want you to know that I love you and that you matter to me. See, I, 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 I got to go on. I got to edit a whole thing out of here to get to something. So, so uh, let's, go to, let's go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 18. Acts 2, 18. I just left out a whole something you would have really liked. Uh, I mean, I, I, know, I know what it is. I've already been blessed and shouted about it this week, but I don't know. Is that cotton picking time? You're just not going to get to hear it today. All right. Look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We got all day, Pastor. I, I, you know, people say that, but 
stomach start growling. I know, I've seen those faces. <clears throat> Acts 2, go there with me. Pastor, how do we do this? How do I call my betrayer my friend? How did, how did he call Judas his friend? <laughs> and he rebuked Peter and said, Satan, get behind me. Seemed like you should have flipped that, right? Because Peter was saying, Lord, we love you. Don't go to the cross. And he says, Satan, get behind me. And Judas betrays him and sends him there. He calls him friend. Let me tell you something. <laughs> you ready for this? Only servants get this. He rebuked Peter and said, you're, you're talking like Satan because he said, don't go to the cross. He said, Judas, you don't know, but you're my friend because you're getting me into the will of God. You're moving me to the cross. You know what? Those people that are hurting you today, if you'll put them in the hands of God, if you'll trust God in that moment, all they're doing is pushing me to the cross. They're pushing me to the cross. Oh, you think you're hurting me, but you're pushing me to the cross. You think you're going to bring me down, but I'm going to let you go because I'm going to the cross. I'm pulling to the things of God. It didn't feel good, but I'm going to do it anyway. Anybody with me? I'm going to watch your feet, and I know you're going to mess this up. Listen, some of you, oh, I, listen, I just got, some of you have given up on your prodigal sons and daughters because they haven't done. Listen, I felt this from the Holy Spirit right now. Don't you give up on them. You say, I'm going to stop washing their feet because they're going to mess me up. Jesus knew when he washed Judas' feet, he was going to betray him, but he did it. Why? Because he said, I'm the servant. My father is in charge. There are going to be some people that hurt you, mess up, and but you stay in your lane, God. I've got a father. I've got an audience of one. I'm going to do what's right. How did Jesus do it? How are you and I going to do this? You know how we're going to do this? We're going to do it the same way he did. As he came up out of the water, obedient to God, the Holy Spirit came on him. What do I do when my humanity runs out of strength? I live off the power of the Holy Spirit. What do I do when I come to the end of me? I live on the power of the Holy Spirit. Look in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 18. How many want to be a servant influencer? Let me see your hand. Come on. So how are we going to get there? I, I like this. We're going to have to be full of the Holy Spirit. We're going to have to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. I bet you've never read this verse in this context. Are you ready? On whom does the Holy Spirit uh, outpoured, verse 18, even on my, whoa, <laughs> on my what? Who gets filled with the Holy Spirit? Who has an outpouring of the Holy Spirit? I don't see him say my big shot, big boys, big girls, big title, that bad title. Come on, worship team. Come up here. Come on. I said on my servant, I'm going to pour. I'm going to pour. I'm going to pour out my spirit. If I can get to the place where I live for this audience of one, where I say you're my father and you love me and you said you're pleased with me, then Judas can come and go, but I'm going to stay with the Father. Anybody with me right now? See, the crowd can come and go, but I'm the servant. You say, but they they, they misuse my love. I'm, I'm a servant. I'm a servant. God's going to do something. On my servants, I'm going to pour my spirit out. Acts 2.18. Even on my servants, both men and women. Come on, somebody say, men and women. In the kingdom, there's no men and women. It's men and women. Come on. It's the family. It's the household of God. I like this. I will pour 
out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Your life begins to be a declaration of who God is. I want you to stand with me. Come on, let's stand together right now. We need to pray together for a moment. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Let's stand. Let's stand. Let's stand. Let's stand. Servant. A servant. A servant influencer. Wow, a servant influencer. No one ever served like Jesus. Amen? No one ever influenced like Jesus. And the ingredient, please hear me today. Don't miss this. I haven't had a lot of time to stay on this last. Listen to me. The ingredient, the element, the connection between what our flesh cannot do, between what I'm incapable of doing and what God is able to do, is the power of the Holy Spirit. You and I, are you hearing me? Can I do this in our own ability? Listen to what I'm saying. You're not going to do this trying harder. You're going to do it surrendering more. We're not going to get there in our own strength. We're going to get there in the power of the Holy Spirit. The church in America, listen to your pastor today. I'm going to be quoted and I'm videotaped and podcast and I can't. I'm going to say this and I know what I'm going to say and I mean it. The church in America will not survive this season unless there's a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit that comes on the church. Where we are, where we are, religion's not going to cut it. Churchianity is not going to cut it. The power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit. My prayer for you, my prayer for me, my family, this church. God, fill us with the Holy Spirit. Fill us with the Holy Spirit, God. Listen, I'm not asking God just to touch me. I'm asking God to overwhelm me. Surround me. Flood me. Listen, I don't need a touch. I need a flood. Everybody with me? It takes some surrender. Young millennials, man, I love you. I think you're being underestimated in this generation. All I hear about, well, millennials are self-centered. Millennials, you know, are shallow. Millennials, listen, you're being underestimated. I don't underestimate you, and God doesn't underestimate you. I want to tell you something. You're an army God's ready to raise up right now of young men and women who will be filled with the Holy Spirit. You, you, you want to have a great marriage? You better have a great relationship with God. You want to find a great career? You better find a great relationship with God. He will lead you and guide you and bless you. And through you, influence will come. Mom and dad trying to raise that family. Did you relate maybe to Joe McGee? What did he say? They were dropping babies like raindrops or something. I mean, they had four. You're, you, you're, you're buying clothes and diapers and and, and school tuition and books and soccer and whatever it is. Listen to me. Your God is able. Your God is able. Don't put God on hold till your kids graduate. Don't put God on hold till you get your next job. Don't put God on hold. Come on, listen. There's some things we need to see. If the church in America is going to survive this antichrist culture, we'll not do it by hating, by fighting, by 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 fighting people that disagree with us fighting people you understand we're going to do it by being filled with the holy spirit 
and being so much like Jesus that our influence is undeniable. So today, worship team, we're going to sing that song. I pray it is a not just a song or even a prayer. But I'm thinking about what I heard last week from Apostle Valenzuela. It's a cry from my heart. Anybody hear what I'm saying? Until it becomes a cry, it's an option. Until it becomes a cry, it's just an option. When it becomes a cry, you're desperate. It it would be kind of like this. You're out at sea, and a boat went down, and you're holding on to a little life raft, and there's it's leaking. And a boat's coming by. What are you going to do? I'm going to cry out. I'm going to make a noise. I'm going to... Anybody with me? I'm not going to say, Well, if it's your will, would you just come my way? No. I'm going to say, Hey! Woo! Hey! I'm going to... Hey! Hey! I'm drowning over here! Hey! 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 Woo! Hey! You say, Well, Pastor... God knows where you are. He sure does. But it, just in case, I've been crying out. I don't, I don't know how he measures all that, but, but I, it's not little, you know, Lord, if you want to bless Calvary, just go ahead. No, I, I've been doing some yelling, not at him, but in front of him. I've been crying out, God, we want to be an influence. I need help being a servant. I was praying about this and I, I got to stop. You know, want to be a servant. We just want to be a servant on Sunday <laughs> or to be a servant all the time. God, want to be a servant. Well, what if somebody asked me to do something? Well, I don't know I'm a servant until somebody treats me like one. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can connect with us live each Wednesday and Sunday through our social media pages. If today's message has blessed you, Please rate and review us so that more people can hear this message of Christ. Find out more about Calvary on our website at calvaryassembly.org.